From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Patty Smith, and I'm going to read a few excerpts from my book, Just Kids. The excerpts revolve around uh, my life with Robert Maplethorpe when we were quite young, um, very early days, the genesis of the cover picture, which was shot on September 1st, 1969, and Robert's uh, beautiful photograph on the cover of Horses. One Indian summer day, we dressed in our favorite things, me in my beatnik sandals and ragged scarves, and Robert with his love beads and sheepskin vest. We took the subway to West 4th Street and spent the afternoon in Washington Square. We shared coffee from a thermos, watched the stream of tourists, stoners, and folk singers, agitated revolutionaries distributing anti-war leaflets, and chess players who drew a crowd of their own. Everyone coexisted within the continuous drome of verbal diatribes, bongos, and barking dogs. We were walking along the fountain, the epicenter of activity, when an older couple stopped and openly observed us. Robert enjoyed being noticed, and he affectionately squeezed my hand. Oh, take their picture, said the woman to her bemused husband. I think they're artists. I'll go on, he shrugged. They're just kids. The leaves were turning burgundy and gold. There were carved pumpkins on the stoops of the brownstones on Clinton Avenue. We took walks at night. Sometimes we could see Venus above us. It was the shepherd's star and the star of love. Robert called it our blue star. He practiced forming the T of Robert into a star, signing it in blue so that I would remember. I was getting to know him. He had absolute confidence in his work and in me yet he worried incessantly about our future, how we would survive, and about money. I felt we were too young to have such cares. I was happy just being free. The uncertainty of the practical side of our life haunted him, though I did my best to stay his worries. He was searching, consciously or unconsciously, for himself. He was in a fresh state of transformation, he had shed the skin of his ROTC uniform, and in its wake his scholarship, his commercial path, and his father's expectations of him. At 17, he had been infatuated with the prestige of the Persian rifles, their brass buttons, highly polished boots, braids, and ribbons. It was the uniform that attracted him, just as the robes of an altar boy had drawn him to the altar. But his service was to art not to church or country. His beads, dungarees, and sheepskin vests represented not a costume, but an expression of freedom. After work, I would meet him downtown, and we would walk through the yellow-filtered light of the East Village, past the Fillmore East and the Electric Circus, the places we had passed on our first walk together. It was exciting just to stand in front of the hallowed ground of Birdland that had been blessed by John Coltrane, or the five-spot on St. Mark's Place where Billie Holiday used to sing, and where Eric Dolphy and Ornette Coleman opened the field of jazz like human can openers. 
We couldn't afford to go inside. On other days, we would visit art museums. There was only enough money for one ticket, so one of us would go in, look at the exhibits, and report back to the other. On one such occasion, we went to the relatively new Whitney Museum on the Upper East Side. It was my turn to go in, and I reluctantly entered without him. I no longer remember the exhibit, but I do recall peering through one of the museum's unique trapezoidal windows, seeing Robert across the street, leaning against a parking meter, smoking a cigarette. He waited for me, and as we headed toward the subway, he said, One day we'll go in together, and the work will be ours. Robert and I rose early. We had put some money aside for our second anniversary. I had prepared our clothing the night before, washing our things in the sink. He squeezed out the excess water as his hands were stronger and draped the clothes over the iron headboard we used as a clothesline. In order to dress for the occasion, he disassembled the piece in which he had stretched two black T-shirts on a vertical frame. I had sold the Faulkner book, and along with a week's rent, I was able to buy Robert a Borsalino hat at the J.J. Hat Center on Fifth Avenue. It was a fedora, and I watched him comb his hair and try it on in different ways before the mirror. He was obviously pleased, and he jokingly pranced around in his anniversary hat. He put the book I was reading, my sweater, his cigarettes, and a bottle of cream soda in a white sack. He didn't mind carrying it because it lent him a sailor's air. We boarded the F train and rode to the end of the line. I always loved the ride to Coney Island. Just the idea that you could go to the ocean via subway was so magical. I was deeply absorbed in a biography of Crazy Horse when I snapped to the present and looked at Robert. He was like a character in Brighton Rock in his 40 styles hat, black net t-shirt, and hirachis. We pulled into our stop and I leapt to my feet, filled with the anticipation of a child, slipping the book back into the sack. He took my hand. Nothing was more wonderful to me than Coney Island with its gritty innocence. It was our kind of place, the fading arcades, the peeling signs of bygone days, cotton candy and cupie dolls on a stick, dressed in feathers and glittering top hats. We wandered through the last gasp of the sideshows. They had lost their luster, although they still touted such human oddities as the donkey-faced boy, the alligator man, and the three-legged girl. Robert found the world of freaks fascinating, though of late he was foregoing them for the leather boys in his work. We strolled the boardwalk and got our picture taken by an old man with a box camera. We had to wait an hour for it to be developed, so we went to the end of a long fishing pier where there was a shack that served coffee and hot chocolate. Pictures of Jesus, President Kennedy, and the astronauts were taped to the wall behind the register. It was one of my favorite places, and I would often daydream of getting a job there and living in one of the old tenement buildings across from Nathan's. All along the pier, young boys and their grandfathers were crabbing. They'd slide raw chicken as bait in a small cage on a rope and then hang it over the side. The pier was swept away in a big storm in the 80s, but Nathan's, which was Robert's place, remained. 
Normally, we only had money for one hot dog and a Coke. He would eat most of the dog, and I would eat most of the sauerkraut. But that day, we had enough money for two of everything. We walked across the beach to say hello to the ocean, and I sang him the song Coney Island Baby by The Excellence. Robert wrote our names in the sand. We were just ourselves that day, without a care. It was our good fortune that this moment in time was frozen in a box camera. It was our first real New York City portrait, who we were. Only weeks before, we had been at the bottom, but our blue star, as Robert called it, was rising. We boarded the F train for the long ride back, returned to our little room, and cleared off the bed, happy to be together. There was never any question that Robert would take the portrait for the cover of horses, my oral sword sheathed with Robert's image. I had no sense of how it would look, just that it would be true. The only thing I promised Robert, that I would wear a clean shirt with no stains on it. I went to the Salvation Army on the Bowery and bought a stack of white shirts. Some were too big for me, but there was one I really liked. It was neatly pressed with a monogram below the breast pocket. It reminded me of a brassy shot of Jean Genet wearing a white monogram shirt with rolled-up sleeves. There was an RV stitched on my shirt. I imagined it belonging to Roger Vadim, who had directed Barbarella. I cut off the cuffs of the sleeves to wear under my black jacket, adorned with a horse pin. Robert wanted to shoot it at Sam Wagstaff's, since his one Fifth Avenue penthouse was bathed in natural light. The corner window cast a shadow creating a triangle of light, and Robert wanted to use the triangle in the photograph. I rolled out of bed and noticed it was late. I raced through my morning ritual, going around the corner to the Moroccan bakery, grabbing a crusty roll, a sprig of fresh mint, and some anchovies. I came back and boiled water and stuffing the pot with mint. I poured olive oil in the open roll, rinsed the anchovies, and laid them inside, sprinkling in some cayenne pepper. I poured a glass of tea and thought better of wearing my shirt, knowing that I'd get olive oil all over the front of it. Robert came to fetch me. He was worried because it was very overcast and he wanted to shoot in natural light. I finished getting dressed. Black peg pants, white Lizelle socks, black capizios. I added my favorite ribbon and Robert brushed the crumbs off my black jacket. We hit the street. He was hungry, but he refused to eat my anchovy sandwiches, so we ended up having grits and eggs at the pink teacup. The day just slipped away. It was cloudy and dark, and Robert kept watching for the sun. Finally, in late afternoon, it started to clear. We crossed Washington Square just as the sky threatened to darken again. Robert became worried that we were going to miss the light, and we ran the rest of the way to One Fifth Avenue. The light was already fading. He had no assistant. We never talked about what we would do or what it would look like. He would shoot. I would be shot. I had in mind a look. He had in his mind the light. That is all. Sam's apartment was spartan, all white and nearly empty, with a tall avocado tree by the window overlooking Fifth Avenue. Robert placed me by the triangle of light. His hands trembled slightly 
as he readied to shoot, I stood. The clouds kept moving back and forth. Something happened with his light meter, and he became slightly agitated. He took a few shots. He abandoned the light meter. A cloud went by, and the triangle disappeared. Robert said, you know, I really like the whiteness of the shirt. Can you take your jacket off? I flung my jacket over my shoulder, Frank Sinatra style. I was full of references. He was full of light and shadow. It's back, he said, of the triangle. He took a few more shots. I got it. How do you know? I just know. He took 12 pictures that day. Within a few days, he showed me the contact sheet. This one has the magic, he said. When I look at it now, I never see me. I see us. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.